enter a world where monsters have taken their place among cinematic history, but who are the real monsters? Are they the scaly creatures that haunt our nightmares? Or are they the person you see every day just casually walking down the street? What happens when man outweighs the monster on the screen and creep into our lives and dreams? With our co-hosts Joe Radazzo, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago, they will uncover who are the real villains as we explore the classic cinema along with some modern greats and find the monster within us. Welcome to Licensed Podcast. It is Eminem, Monsters and Madman Week. We'll be discussing two films, which will be Sinister from 2012, and We Are Still Here from 2015. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Vicky Ray with us. Hello, Vicky. Hey, guys. What's up? We got Joe Randazzo with us. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. <clears throat> and we have our silent partner, Ferris, with us today. And so we are not get started, so silent on the sidelines, but that's okay. <laughs> So before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to, starting with you, Joe. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Well, the uh, the testing at the high school has uh, has gone down, so I've had a little bit more free time this week. This was the last uh, Wednesday was the last day that I was working at the high school, at least until about October. Um, so I'm still a little tired. I'm still a little burned out, but it's going to get better when I'm only I'm back to only working one job. Um, I was just on the Spoiler Room podcast uh, that's going to be uh, posting soon on iTunes. It's going to oh, be cool. the episode on Alfred Hitchcock's uh, The Skin Game. Um, Make sure I, you post the link. As soon as it goes up, I'll post it. I, I, ju- I was actually just checking a minute ago. It's not up yet. Um, <clears throat> um, so, yeah, it's the beginning of the year, I decided I was going to go through as many Hitchcock movies as I can get my hands on. Cause I was like, you know what? I just want to see all of them. And uh, Mark was doing a um, Mark was covering the skin game as part of his podcast. So I thought, you know what, why not? I'll watch it and go on his. Uh... I never heard of that one until I saw that. It's like, why haven't I heard of that? Cause it's you not know? very good. <laughs> oh, is it bad? <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, yeah. You, I, I think I sent you my, my comments on it, which was. Yeah, you, know, you did. I read them. I, wrote, I read all your stuff. It's kind of. I get a kick out of here. I felt it was kind of dull, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to hear Mark, uh, Mark and I, and um, uh, someone called the horror, uh, horror retrospective, uh, someone from that, that website joined them, uh, uh, joined us and. Yeah, um, that'll go up soon. I don't know when. Probably by the time this goes up, it'll probably be up. Um, besides that, I don't really watch think anything it. good. We'll be talking about what uh, you know, a couple of them. Uh, yeah. Have I seen anything new? Oh, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy three, and was it any good? I heard it was it's, great. It's very, very, very good. Funny. <laughs> James Gunn is like our last hope for. Uh, uh, mainstream cinema, I think, because uh, he, right. man- he manages to make these movies and actually make them kind of heartfelt, which has been... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, just a fun franchise, though. I don't care. I don't know anybody that hates it. You know? No, so. because, all, because all three movies are really, really good. And, and they're fun. There, yeah, there's not a bad movie in the bunch. Um, and great performances, you know, vocal and physical performances. Uh, Bradley Cooper in this as uh, as, as Rocket oh, Bradley Raccoon. Cooper's in it. Uh, Bradley Cooper is the voice of Rocket Raccoon. Oh, okay. Yeah, get me yeah. I didn't it's, know that. No shit. It's voice. Yeah, it's voice work. Um, uh, 
This is this is really Rocket's movie. If uh, if you if you've liked Rocket Raccoon, this is really the Rocket Raccoon movie. It goes into uh, goes into his origin and really really good stuff. And it'll 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 tug at your heartstrings. Definitely, I'll definitely watch that then. So I like the other two. I love the other two actually. So. I've had the Fableman sitting on my on my coffee table for weeks, but the three hour runtime kind of precludes me being able to watch it. I haven't it lately. seen it yet either, but I'm told it's really worth the watch. Um, I will, uh, yeah, I will probably watch it uh, next week now that I'm, you know, not working both jobs anymore. So I'll have a little bit more time, probably watch Fablemans in the next couple of days. I'm waiting patiently for Indiana Jones to come out. But I heard the AI, you might as well not even use Harrison Ford because they AI the fuck out of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the the reviews for that are not good. We'll see. We'll see what uh, happens. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. You can't top Raiders. None of them can top Raiders or Temple of Doom. You just I love those first three, and then I did not. Uh, uh, you know, Sean rewatched the four of them, and I watched. I, I've seen all of them, so I'd watched as much of them as I could. Um, you know, before having to go to bed and whatever. But uh, you know, the first three are still to me. I, I think they're absolutely magnificent. And then the fourth one, it's it's fourth one was what the Crystal Skull. Yeah, the Crystal Skull. That's um, where they started kind of losing me was the Crystal Skull. But yeah. I mean, it was it was good, but it wasn't Raiders. You just can't top Raiders. I, I, fa- I found that I didn't hate it as much as I did when it, when it first came out. But after watching the first three, the three previous nights, it's it's not even. Not even close. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody put a nap, the temple of napping at doom or something like that. There was a meme out with a sleeping, and you know, it just broke my heart. Don't make fun of him. He's like my favorite hero, you know. Eighty something years old now, so yeah, it's gonna be all time. And it's like I know. I watched a movie with him last night with my daughter. I'll get to that in a minute, though. Is that it. That's it for what I've been up to. <laughs> what about yourself, Vix? What are you up to? Not a whole lot since I got back from New York. I try to stick close to home. I don't know when I'm going to have to leave again. But um, been um, Asher's motorcycle season is here, so we've been doing that. Um, I did watch. Well, I was what, what was I watching? Um, Brittany got me watch a chick flick called Adeline last night. It was on Netflix. It's a 2015 movie with a uh, Harrison Ford, and oh God, she's married to. Oh my God, I'm having a, a blonde moment. But um, anyway, it was a, it was a, it was like the equivalent of the female whatever happened to Benjamin Buttons kind of thing. But I oh, I, I really liked it. It was it was a good it was a cool little you know chill movie, not with you know people dying and getting their heads ripped off. And it was new. <laughs> got it got it pulled back every once in a while, I guess. But um, I did watch Dungeons and Dragons with Asher, and we're both a little disappointed. There are dragons in Dungeons and Dragons, right? They had a fat, obese dragon was the, the king of the show. I mean, a fat, obese dragon who couldn't really chase them down because he was so fat and obese. But when you hear Dungeons and Dragons, it was okay. I'm really disappointed. But it wasn't what we thought. When you think Dungeons and Dragons, you're thinking like Reign of Fire Dungeons and Dragons, you know? Not cute little fat dragons that, you know, poof out little things. I, I don't know. I was disappointed. I was expecting more. But other than that, still sticking to Miami Vice, watching that. I'm still, like, at the end of the third season. Everybody still dies around Crockett and Cubs. There's just no hope for Crockett, especially. <laughs> Where are you at in it, Joe? <laughs> uh, we, uh, Sean bought the box in a little while back. We started going through them. 
but our schedules have just been complete opposites. So I don't know if he's continued on, but I haven't. Um, I, I, I forgot I, how good they were. They were such. I miss the eighties. Fun. They're goofy. I fun. just miss the eighties. Every time I see, I just I miss the clothes. I could so relate to the clothes when I see all the clothes they got on and the friggin' goofy dudes and. I mean, right down to Don Johnson's feathered hair, you know? He's got all this feathered hair. I was watching him in an interview. He's like old. He's older than me anyway, so that makes him older than her, I guess. But he was talking about all the women still love him, and he's the best piece of ass they ever had. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. So, like, well, he's still cocky. So, better than that, not a whole lot. It's summer here. We're doing gardens and outside stuff. So, we're trying to, we still watch the scary stuff. But but when it's springtime in Texas, you take advantage of it because it's going to be 120 degrees soon. So, I'm going to enjoy the spring while it lasts. But then you all figure that out when you get here. <laughs> but other than that, what about you, Keith? I've been up to a lot, really. Um, just work and... Got all, I mean, I'm up, to, I'm up to date with all the editing finally. Yay. Um, oh You've been but, moving and shaking. Yeah, for now. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, not up to a lot, really. Just sorting out stuff and sorting out life. And, you know, this makes you want to zippy, zippity doodah all the day and polywada doodle. You know, That's so right. <laughs> just the way it is. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, can't complain. I mean, nothing, nothing hideous or anything like that. No. It's just, Dealing with life. Life. And speaking of life, that brings us to Sinister, which is a 2012 supernatural horror film directed by Scott Dickerson and written by C. Robert Cargill and Dickerson. It stars Ethan Hawke as a struggling true crime writer whose discovery of videos depicting grisly murders in his new house puts his family in danger. It stars Juliet Rylance, Fred Thompson, James Ransom, Claire Foley, and Michael Hall D'Addario. D'Addario? Yeah. Sinister was inspired by Nightmare Cargill Head after watching the 2002 film The Ring. Principal photography on Sinister begins in autumn of 2011 in Long Island, New York, with a production budget of $3 million. To add to the authenticity of old home movies and snuff films, the Super 8 segments were shot on actual Super 8 cameras and film stock. The film was the co-production between the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. It premiered at the SXSW Festival on March 10, 2012. It was released in the United Kingdom on October 5th, 2012, and in the United States on October 12th. Critics praised its acting, direction, cinematography, and atmosphere, but panned its use of jump scares and other horror cliches. It was a box office success, grossing $87.7 million against its budget of $3 million. It has developed a reputation for scariness and is considered a cult classic. A 2020 study by Broadband Choices named Sinister the scariest film ever made based on analysis of viewers' heart rates. A sequel was released in 2015. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Sinister and be right back. New details today in the grisly murders of a local family found earlier this week. 
I didn't want to move here. We couldn't afford to live in the old house anymore. Plus, the new story I'm writing is here. Is the story a good one this time? I'm going to write the best book that anybody's ever read. I got a really good feeling about this. <laughs> You gotta be kidding me. Family hanging out. Barbecue 79. That's the family who lived here. You think these are serial murders? I don't know. First one I found dates back to the 60s. The only link between all these cases is the symbol. The symbol is associated with a pagan deity named Bagul. He consumes the souls of human children. I have never been onto something this big before. Early Christians believed that Bagul actually lived in the images themselves and that they were gateways into his realm. Children exposed to the images were especially vulnerable to Bagul's abduction. Sweetheart, what are you doing? Painting. I wanted to paint her picture. Who are you talking about? Stephanie. She used to live What's the matter? What's happened? Get the kids. Pack the car. We have to leave here now. Welcome back to Lujai's podcast. I'm discussing Sinister from 2012. So, Joe, what are your thoughts of Sinister? Well, this is um, a movie I kind of slept on for a while because I, I just watched it for the first time earlier this year. And I was like, okay, I it is very, very, very well made. Uh, as far as the scariest movie ever made, <laughs> no, but... It's um, very visual, though. It's very, well, it's, it's unnerving. And I, I yeah. started to realize that the reason it's unnerving is a lot because of the way Scott Derrickson shot it, which is to, you know. Um, but you're talking like the eight millimeter film? No, I'm talking about like just, just his shot selection, even in scenes where there's just characters having a conversation will be shot, you know, where they're off to the side, but it's still, you know, like a wide shot. So you got all this empty space over here. And when you're watching a horror movie, you're looking at the empty space, you're looking at the empty space down. and wondering what's going to happen because we're, we're, you know, we're, we're primed that when we look at something, we want to look, you know, we're primed to look in the center. So no, if we're he sets, trained after years of watching this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <trained>. So <laughs> when, when you set something off to the side, yeah, and you know, behind where the characters are, there's this long, never-ending dark hallway. You're gonna be scaring the shit out of yourself because you're wondering what's gonna be happening in that dark hallway. So it works in that in that regard. I enjoyed the mystery aspect of it. I, right. I liked uh, you know, yesterday was my was my second viewing of it. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna 
I'm going to take a look and see if there's certain things that like I didn't catch before. And there isn't really anything, you know, on, on the second viewing that I didn't see before, but it's still very unnerving. And the, I, I, I like also that the, uh, the, the films that he finds get that more cash of films in the attic. Yeah, he does. He doesn't watch them chronologically. It's like in the, the order that the events took place, but he watches, he watches them in a way where, like, by the time it builds up to lawn work, lawn work is just so intense that the second you see wh where what the lawnmower is about to go over, yeah, well, that's need, right, the lawnmower. They don't need to show anything else, you know, yeah. and it, it's it's horrifying. They just show Ethan Hawke cutting away, which you know is brilliant because. Nothing, nothing is going to get you to, you know, is going to get you with that as much as your own imagination of what's going on. I mean, you know, and it's clear what's going on, but you don't, you don't need to show the big gory mess of body parts flying everywhere. They didn't so really show too much gore though. I mean, but I, no. I thought that the hanging of the family and the guy on the side where he's just cutting that with that long, what was it? A tree, tree saw, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, it was a saw. Yeah. Trees that I thought was it wasn't really gross, but it was really disturbing. Yeah, so it's, it was presented really well in a disturbing capacity as it was meant. To be. That's the thing that 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 I that I felt about this movie is that it 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 starts to unnerve you at the very beginning, and then I feel like it actually it actually works to continue to unnerve you. I have you. to wonder about the character though. What the fuck was wrong with him moving his family into that house? Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, all right here. In real life, where ghosts don't actually exist, I'm with them. What does it matter? It means nothing. Residual in, energy. That's all. That's what happens. In the uh, energy. Ask your friends about it. In the <laughs> world of this movie, then yeah, you're an asshole. Why would you do this? In, in a yeah. world where in a world where ghosts exist, you don't move your family into a house where, you know, uh, a family was hung. <laughs> you know, in the real world, hey, whatever. It's cheap. It's cheap real estate. But, true. True. Yeah, yeah, and your just, family I mean, just, just just ask the Lutzes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they 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 admitted that it was that it was all bullshit. At, uh, Except in the, end. the son, he was on a documentary. Just the what was this like? Yeah, I saw that. He, he's, know he's, what I'm talking about? The yeah, grift. The grift never ends. The grift. They never uh, ended. The grift. <laughs> they no, to be honest, about so... their grift though. They made a lot of money on it. Well, they. I mean, they're the the kids are really messed up. So. Well, yeah, both, I mean, but... both of them were. Well, which leads, I mean, if you talk to any ghost hunter worth their salt, but the Warrens were up there with God, and I never put them up there with God. I always thought the Warrens were a little sketch, but well, that's a tangent. I mean, walk, walking around with the actual, um, you know, the actual nail from Jesus' cross. I mean, come on. I don't buy the actual it. I never wood. bought I mean, it. Where the, where the fuck did they get that from? I don't know. <laughs> they didn't. I don't know. They didn't. They're full of shit. They were full of shit. <laughs> A gift shop, a gift shop, a gift shop in Israel. So, yeah. I mean, I thought what was quite interesting about Sinister is that he wasn't as good at crime, uh, crime solving as possible. No. Well, I mean, the thing is, because if you if you think about it, okay, so he's he's got it all mapped out, right? right? And he knows that the families lived, so they would, you know, the family would live in the house that, let's say, the original murder happened. Right. And they were fine while they lived in that house, but then when they moved, that's when the murder would happen to them, and then that's that's the that's how did, it moved. Did was the where's the, well, I'm trying to figure out though, um, were the 
was the box of pictures um, tied into something old, ancient, evil? Well, yeah, well, that's where, that, yeah, that's where Vincent the boogeyman or whatever he was. Yeah, Bagul, Bagul, Bagul. Yeah, but but I mean, but, but that's but the whole thing about this um, situation and the story and stuff like this is that he can pinpoint. You know, it's like you know, all the clues are there, and it's, and I think that we kind of put the clues together before he does. Right. But at the same, but at the same time, he's supposed to be the professional crime writer, and it's like this is what he's doing, and this is why he's there to solve this crime sort of thing. Like, because that's because right. he's done three books, basically. They're doing this, and it's kind of like, and then when he finally moves his family away, and of course the ending happens, and you're kind of going, well, you should have seen that coming, really. He had to have the um, deputy tell him that, you know, but he should have figured it out. So, yeah, that's the thing. Deputy so-and-so figures it out, not him. Yeah. Yeah. So, but saying that, I think this is one of the best Bloomhouse horror films made. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. I I, I really enjoyed this movie. I love both of them. And I love how basically it doesn't cop out on the ending. There's no like easy solution or anything no. like that. They don't try, you know, they don't get away. And they're running Does away the from the 2015 sequel. I haven't seen it. Does it pick up where this leaves off? Well, it follows, it follows deputy so-and-so as he is right. now. Uh, every time one of these murders takes place, he burns the house. Uh, he burns the house to the ground. So, so that nobody, well, so that nobody can move into it. Um, and when he goes to burn down the house of one of the murders, he finds that there's a family, a woman who's escaping an abusive husband and her kids are staying in that house right now because it's abandoned. So now a, he can't destroy it. B he can't let them leave. So it's, Uh, well, that sounds interesting. It's not, um, it's not as interesting, but it, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not as good ever. as this. No. Well, that's easy. And, yeah, I mean to be honest, I would have much preferred a prequel or because the thing is, you find the only the only problem I have with this. Right. Well, the only thing I have a problem with basically is is that we find out what happens at 1968 and from 1968 onwards, but like he kind of wonders like, well, how did this family in 1968 get involved? Yeah. So it would be quite interesting to find out that, what did they go on holiday? Did they see a picture of a goal or something like that? Because apparently it's through the pictures of a goal. Because remember, they said they were just, they had to destroy all the ancient um, pagan deity pictures of him because they felt that it, you know, basically it would invite the person in. And once they invited the person in, that, that there's no way they could be let go. So that's why the Super 88 film. Well, they, they tied in that never, that ever popular Moloch from the Old Testament, who is a total badass. So, yeah, he was up against some pretty hard shit. <laughs> so, but so, uh, you know, I think that if you're going to do a sequel, if, I think and normally I'm not, I'm not I don't really like an origin story and I don't think we need an origin story. But it'd be quite interesting to find out how it got into modern day or 1960. Well, I'd like to know what happened to that family because you really still don't know what happened to that family other than they went the fifth. They went, one of them went crazy. But they, but they didn't seem like they were fighting, kind of, when they were getting high. It was just weird. It's creepy weird. But well, it's like, I mean, the thing, I mean, the Bagals and either are children. So basically, what's happening is, is like, 
And I guess all the noises and stuff that must happen. I mean, I guess what we're seeing with Ethan Hawke and, you know, once they discover the film. Right. I imagine what happens and all of a sudden you start, you know, hearing the noises and hearing the sound, which would cause you to move to somewhere else. So that way the murders can take place. And then until then the next family move in and then they were, you know, someone probably discovered the film. This is cyclical then. So there's been other families. Which would make it interesting to have a prequel other than a sequel, so I could kind well, of or, or like Keith said, a prequel of how it got to the United States, because yeah, right. uh, well, well, an ancient Babylonian deity is what is what I think. Uh, Moloch, yeah. yeah. says you're so actually Moloch's from the land of Mo, who used to sacrifice children. But so, the other yeah. one is not a real deity. The one begins with a B. Bagul. Yeah, he's not real, no. but he, but it's it's kind of based on that kind of um, it's based on the same concept. World. But uh, you know, it'd be interesting to find out like how did you know uh, a deity that's been dead for so many years all of a sudden comes back all of a sudden? Uh, well, I mean, my my take is it's always been there, and like Keith said, how did it come to the United States from? Uh, you know, uh, it, it must have maybe a family stayed uh, at a house Possibly. where some murders took place. And that's why the trail in the United States only begins in like 1966 or 68, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So maybe they they were on vacation somewhere. They stayed at a house where that was going on. And the people in that town are probably like, oh, thank God they took the bagul with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. Yeah. I was reading when they were filming this, I guess the like the child actors who played, I guess is Mr. Boogie, is it? The, his ghost, his little entourage. They, I guess the kids kept chattering to each other and it was just creepy as fuck on set. But it said they had hilariously disturbing conversations with each other on set. And it was just fucking with everybody. These kids were, I guess, were funny as hell. So, <laughs> so I can see where that would happen, Mr. Boogie. So. Is that oh, is that the origin of, of the name Mr. Boogie? Yeah, Bad Ghoul. So they called him Mr. Boogie. Because the kids are calling him Mr. Boogie. That's great. Souls. That's great. Yeah. But Mr. Boogie is also like the boogeyman, isn't it? So, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, Either way, it's not that. a healthy correspondence with the undead, I'm sure. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did like, you know, I did also like the like the origin story. I thought they did a good job with that as well. It wasn't like one of these kind of hokey, like, it, like sometimes you get a build up and then you hear like the origin story and you're like, really? <laughs> like the movie Boogeyman or one of those right. films that you was coming out in like the nineties, early two thousands when you got like all this kind of like you know when they have to like they make up this, this myth. in with the ring somehow. I'm trying to find that. I wrote. I can't find it now. Yeah, he he it, it, he started writing this because the, the ring. Um, he saw the ring and it affected him. Okay. So, okay. So he came up with this idea. It's like what okay, would happen yeah, if, you wa- if you watch a picture or a movie or. Something like he, that. He so. thought he was impressed about a box of spooky cursed boobies. And he said the similarity there is a coincidental. After watching The Ring, co-writer C. Robert Cargill had a dream about going into his attic and finding a bunch of films that had the same kind of grisly mur- murder footage on them um, as the home movies that show up in Sinister. So, yeah. That's how I mean, he, I guess- dreamt the, he dreamt the beginning shot. So he's the one that, that was his dream. So... Well, I guess, it, I mean, this is kind of like the start of Ethan Hawke's working with Bloomfield. Bloom, Blumhouse. Well, he yeah. played in the te- that telephone. Was it the Black Phone? Black Phone, which is also yeah. Scott Derrickson. That was an yeah, excellent which, movie. Yeah, and he also did, well, he also did The Purge, didn't he? 
Yep. Yeah, which is also Blumhouse. Yeah, he's yeah. kind of become like the Blumhouse uh, kind of dude. Well, he's kind of become the the Vincent Price of uh, Scott Derrick. Uh, you know, he's Vincent Price to uh, you know to Roger Corman. You but know, he fits in so that well. Scott Derrickson, Well, yeah, because he he's a guy who's been known for great performances throughout the years. So he's got the gravitas to pull it off, and he he gives the movie, uh, you know, a sense of. Uh, you know, a sense of importance that you wouldn't have if you had just, you know, the regular horror star. You have a guy who was a, you know, a mainstream award-winning, you know, actor, mm. well-known for, you know, great performances. Well, he so was he, up for an Oscar for Dead Poet Society and things like that. Did he, yeah. so. did he get the yeah. Oscar? I don't think he, he didn't get it. it. He, was, he was nominated, but... That's such an excellent movie. But he was always, sure. yeah, but he was always known as like, you know, this great consummate actor. So you get someone like that in your movie who's also, you know, who's also a legitimate movie star. Right. You know, uh, he had fallen off a little bit before this, but now it seems he's he's, he's coming back. Um, he's coming back again. So I think Wasn't that... He, that was, didn't, he go, didn't he go out with Uma Thurman for a while? He might have. I don't, uh, I don't know. Probably did. I know he's, I know he's a Ju- Julia Stiles. They did those yes. movies together, that Robert, Richard Linklater films, and they'd be on Sunset. All those uh, J- Julie Delpy, you mean? Dude, yes. Julie Delpy. Yeah, that's your time. Yeah, before Sunrise, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think they were involved in, in reality, but I know that those films always got, and every single film he did come out with was kind of like, why he always Shia got great right LaBeouf now. just popped into my head out of nowhere. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf. I don't know. I've thought about him in a and long he, time, and he's got nothing to do with anything today except the, that I don't he was. Know what uh, happened he was the, to him? He's the last Indiana it. Jones movie, the the previous Indiana Jones movie. Oh, I know. That's it. Kind of, he was kind. Of, he was a good actor. Kind of sad, actually. Um, he had he had like a freak out and uh, he was uh, doing weird artsy lo- stuff. Lost his marbles for a little while, and then he did. Kind we of all do it. though. That should should hold anybody well, when, accountable for it. When you're as young as he was and becoming, you know, a huge star, it's gonna mess with your head. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we got around to Shia LaBeouf, though. I don't know. He just popped into my head when we were talking about Uma Thurman. I don't know why. Just, I can't control my I, brain. <laughs> I never, I, I never quite understood what, what was so great about him. I thought he was okay. I love him in the Transformer movies. I know, but it, I mean, it, it's it's not exact. It's not exactly like oh, no, Oscar just, winning. I love that <laughs> shit, though. No, I'm saying they're good. I'm saying they're good movies, but I, I, I have yet to see anything where it's like, yeah, you'll I'm, never get I'm wild, I'm wild by his acting prowess. Right? You know? No, you won't see that. You won't see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen a couple films where he's like, you know, where you can tell that he's kind of slid his dick in the um, actresses. So <laughs> when when he's having sex scenes and stuff, when he's known to do that. So, but um, um, Nymphomaniac, I think. Uh, get it while you can. Like that happened. Yeah. <laughs> get it while you can. There goes the Me Too movement again. <laughs> True. But I mean, um, you know, I mean, I, I saw that, you know, I think the other film I really saw him in that I kind of remember him is that that take off of uh, Rear Window that Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, update. Disturbia. Yeah. Disturbia. Is that any good? It keeps coming up in my feed. Yeah. I have not watched it yet. It's okay. Have, 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 I mean, you, seen, it have you seen the Rear Window? Yes. Yeah, yeah you, we did you, Rear You've window. seen it. You've I've seen, seen it. <laughs> then you've seen Disturbia. Oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's just an update. Oh, is it? A, it's a newbie film. It's a new. Uh, uh, it's two, yeah, early two thousand, early two thousands, mid two thousands. I see it advertised. I just haven't gotten around to watch it. I've been trying. I've been watching a lot of old stuff lately. So, 
But um, this, but this one though, getting back to the film though, I thought it was visually disturbing, and that's and it really was. Did you guys think there was a lot of gore? I didn't really see too much gore. There's no, no I mean, not not really. I mean, we get we get a lot of gore in the next movie. Well, yeah, uh, but this but... one, uh, uh, no, this one I feel the, the gore was kind of tame. But it was I disturbing. Mean, anything... That's what made it a good movie, though, because it was kind of bone chilling, and I liked it about this film. I like it when something yeah. gets me interested. And it's like, oh shit, what's gonna happen now? Kind of thing. So that that's yeah. how I rated it. Well, with ghost stories, I find that you know the, the ghost story is mostly as good as how intriguing the mystery is. Right. Exactly. Because because if there's if there really isn't much of a mystery, I, I don't I tend to not like the ghost stories. Right. Much. But this one had a had uh, you know I, I felt it was actually a really intriguing mystery. So it's very I intriguing. Mean, yeah. The, I mean, the only the only bad thing I guess I could add to it, if I was going to play devil's advocate, is that Ethan Hawke's character, he's not very likable. No, so he's an asshole. And, and, That's what I'm saying. He's be, a total douche. He brought his family to a murder house. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it's, if you it's don't not believe- just that. But it's not just that. But it's this whole fact that basically, you know, he starts off he starts off as like a douche, and he ends and he ends as a douche. So there's no there's no progression in his character, sort of thing. Because the thing is. You know, he lied. I mean, the, fir- the first thing that you see him is that they're moving boxes. And right. the first thing he does is he he tells you that he's lied to his wife and he's lied to his yeah. family. And that's the first thing, you know, and then and then and then even afterwards. And when she finds out he's has a go at her and he doesn't really take that responsibility. Yeah, for he he tries to put it on her. He goes, well, you you said you don't want to know. I'm like, no, but you know what? This is the kind of thing that you should have told your wife. Yeah. yeah, I think I would want my old man to tell me if somebody hung their whole family in my backyard. I just think that I'm on a need to know basis for something like that. And I would definitely need to know. So I that I guess I mean, that's yeah. how he wrote his stories, though. Right. I he mean, would, he would live near where it happened. Yeah. She says, you didn't move us two houses down from a from a murder house, did you? And he says, no. no. Well, he didn't lie. But, yeah, he didn't necessarily lie he just omitted no no, i moved you right into the murder house this time which yeah he he is a bit of an asshole we also find (laughs) out via his interviews that he's a that he's a liar via the the videotaped interviews where they're like is it more important to sell the book or is the sense of justice more important and we we realize that that's a lie when he says no it's good that we got the justice for it do you think he was being punished for that statement do you think that the powers that be was punishing him at all i don't i don't don't think i think I, I think it's curiosity killed the cat situation that we were, that we're living in. We're kind of living in that situation that, you know, if he, if he wasn't so curious about something and he wasn't so hungry, chances are he probably never lived in the house anyway. So in, in a way sad about the family, but he kind of gets what he deserves really because he, because uh, yeah. he's the one that, because he is, because he's not, he's not someone who's like just moved into the house and find these kind of films, like maybe like the other like the other families right. previously, but he's kind of invited this in anyway, you know? And the thing is, is like, and he, and he kept going and he kept going and he kept going and he kept going. And the question basically is, is that maybe if he didn't keep going, if he wasn't so hungry for his own success and hoping right. that he'd get the bestseller that he probably he might not put his family in danger. Yeah. And well, that's what I'm saying. It's almost like he was getting punished for his greed, you know? Well, his, his, his family doesn't deserve what happened. No, no, they um, don't. But, uh, but, um, he, yeah, he, yeah, he, he opened this up. He, he, he brought this on himself. Well, then again, I'm yeah. not, you know, not saying he deserved to be to to be murdered. 
No. But it's hard to feel bad for, you know, my, my, my mother used to say all the time, it's hard for me to feel sorry for those that seek death by their own hand. Yeah. And that's kind of what Ethan Hawke. Wise words. Here. Ethan Hawke here, you know, and uh, like I was saying before, the interviewer, they asked about the whole, ju- no, no, the justice is more important. And now we're learning, no, it's not important to him. He doesn't give a shit. He just wants that next bestseller so that he yeah. can, yeah, he can make that, he can make that money. And we hear him tell his wife that, no, it's worth it. It's worth it. If it, it's like, I don't care about the money. I, you know, I, I care more about the safety of my family. Well, uh, it's going to be worth it when we get all the money from this. Yeah. He was so insistent on that. So insistent. Well, he's, yeah, he got, he got a bunch of cloud for something he wrote 25, you know, uh, wait, this is 2012. So let's say 25 years prior in the nineties. And no, he hasn't he had not, a hit in a while. Yeah. He could not well, let go of that clout. Yeah, he's a one. He's a one-hit wonder. Which is nothing you know, wrong with. You know, you you had yeah. a hit. You had your fifteen minutes. And his wife even asks him, "What if that was your fifteen minutes?" But you know, they say you know, success is a you know a hungry creature that needs to be fed anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I so, imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be hard so, for people that do so well that all of a sudden they have a real. You know, I mean, ask you know, ask one-hit wonders. Ask right, ask right, said Fred. <laughs> oh, there's a whole list of one hit wonders, or or people. Harper Lee only wrote one one book. That's true. That's but luckily, true. I mean that that was able to carry her all the way through. But let's face it, there's a I mean, there's a lot of people that will hit like a huge, you know, write a huge book, and then that's it. Or they could go their whole career without selling another book. And the simple fact is that that book could be famous, and yeah, people might read it for. The, for a year but after that it might not even sell again yeah because it might uh, you know a bit like the da vinci code i mean okay you made a lot of money off da vinci code yeah. but i doubt if any i doubt if anybody's reading those books now sort of thing you know but he was lucky enough that they made a film out of it so it probably kept it a little going a bit longer than it probably should have but exactly dan brown if you, out apparently yeah, if, you read, movie, if you read the book it's not they're not it's not very well written <laughs> i guess like they that. had one scene i guess it was a particular eight millimeter film scene of the family death that didn't make the cut because it was so bad i've got to find it but they said it was the family at christmas time it was out in the woods it was freezing they said the scene was cut for financial reasons but derrickson and cargill were okay with that but they said it was it was a grimmer and a bit more dark and grisly and frightening than the other but we didn't get to see that huh, i wonder it was if too it's dark on, for the movie how is something too dark for a movie named sinister but Huh, I wonder if it's on the uh, uh, the DVD the, that I the watched. DVD gets um, I, 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 I'm gonna have to go back and look. I'll see if I can find it. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's D- too dark. DVDs seem to be bare bones now, so I don't know. I've I noticed. <laughs> yeah. They're getting real well, cheap. Well, 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 it used to be. Well, it used to be. Uh, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, here, here's this classic movie. Here's stickers this, pull out centerfold. Yeah. The, the, oh, then when you get to the then when you get to the discs, like here's a 25 minute documentary hosted by Martin Scorsese talking to all these film historians, yeah. and uh, then here's here's the trailers, and we're gonna add a Bugs Bunny cartoon and all this stuff, so you can get the full theatrical experience of what it was like back then. Price 14.99. Yeah. Now, nowadays 32.99. You got the movie. Fuck you. Yeah. What, what, what else? What else you want? You're lucky you're getting the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's so disappointing. I mean, the only the only goodies bad. I mean, I I bought that movie Necromantic. 
I got that was the only one that gave me goodies was necromantic. I got postcards of the dead dude and everything. Oh, <laughs> we, we see don't get shit from anything else. We see stuff like that now, but they're major special editions that are like fifty bucks. Yeah. Mm. But they were just yeah. back in the day. But I, but I wonder. I'll I'll go look at the DVD later and see if. Yeah, that's uh, what see, it said. I think that's, I found that on the IMD website. But yeah, this this started out Derrickson and Cargill as as kind of a team because uh, yeah, they were the team. Uh, he uh, Cargill wrote the screenplay for Black Phone based on uh, um, uh, Joe oh, Hill's really? uh, story. So. They've been working together it's quite a bit. A and Derrickson weird. blew up after this. Derrickson went on to uh, you know, direct uh, Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe. So he, uh, I, I don't know if this is the movie that. Uh, that was that, painful to watch. And I love the Marvel Universe. But wait, Doctor, which? Doctor Strange. Uh, there, well, there's two of them. He, the, he the, the last one. The last he, one. he directed the first one. Uh, okay. Sam Raimi from Evil Dead directed the last one. Well, I love Sam Raimi too. This it just. I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're just making too many movies. I don't know. Maybe this. Maybe that's what it is. They're glutting the market. I don't know. That's that's a yeah. That's a big problem with them right now. So before we move to the next film, how many stars would you rate We Are um, Sinister? Sorry. <laughs> so, Vicky, how many stars did you give Sinister? I'll give it a good 4.5 because, I mean, I wasn't hiding under my bed. But but it was very intense, and I like that scary shit. And Joe's right. It has a really good um, mystery to it. So you got to give it credits for that. But it, it's very mm. disturbing. <laughs> Some of it is anyway. Mm. And what about yourself, Joe? Uh, Vicky and I are, you know, on exactly the same page. I was going to say four and a half as well. Um, I think it's real. I, I think it's an engaging story. Very. Um, I think it's very, uh, you know, very suspenseful. I like the mystery to it. You know, I'm not a big fan of jump scares, so that's maybe why I'll, I'll knock off half a star as long as as well as the length. Was like, there a jump scare? I didn't get jump scares. Well, I mean, there's a few of them. Uh, yeah. A lot of times we're coming out of the I'm box. I'm a desensitized and... movie watcher. <laughs> Sensitized, but I mean, but I mean, it's not. I just don't find jump scares really, you know, really scary is the thing. But they're fun know. once in a while. You yeah, know? they they can be fun, and at least it's not, you know, a cat. You know, at least it's not like oh, it's a cat coming out of the closet, and that's what the jump scare caused, uh, or that's what caused the jump scare. You know, that's th- those are just egregious, and I hate those with a passion. Here, <laughs> at least they were used because they would pop up with something that's actually legitimately creepy looking. Um, so yeah, over overall, I like it. I think it's one of the better uh, one of the better horror films of the last you know decade or so. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, I really really like this one. I'm gonna give it um, a probably a four 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 point five. Um, really like it. Uh, I like the atmosphere of it. I it keeps me going. I think the soundtrack works very well with it as well. So it's not one of those overpowering soundtracks. You only get like the music basically during the the eight millimeter film sequences so i thought that was quite impressive some yeah some of the jump scares were a bit yeah i think if they if he did it without the jump scares i think it probably would made it a bit more effective so a bit more haunting and it would probably have you know stayed stayed in the in the back of your consciousness a bit more um and our silent um watcher ferris gives it a 3.5 so there we go 
And uh, <laughs> I, uh, Sean watched it yesterday with me. He's got to work tonight, and so he's not joining us. But he's, uh, I think he said it was a three, and I, uh, he said he enjoyed the Manhunter aspect of it, of you know, kind of the looking at the forensics of a crime and kind of tracing that. Customer. But he didn't. Uh, yeah, he wasn't a fan of the. I've seen his post on Facebook. Go, damn, that kid's tough. <laughs> i think i mean i think it, it could have gone up to five if they didn't cheapen it with the 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 jump scary part of it sort of thing they could have they could have been a bit more clever on that side of it so, but it's almost like this is what they this is what people expect in a horror film so we need to add it and so they kind of felt forced in there because they figured they need to have this yeah i feel like you yeah. and i are on the same page on that i feel like if it wasn't for the jump scares i probably would have given it a five yeah, I just don't even remember the jump scares. So they well, must the not have been the, really the, good. Well, the kid in the box. The, oh you know, well, yeah. I stole the really jump. Quickly. Well, this brings us to We Are Still Here, which is a 2015 American horror film written and directed by Ted Giganin. I'm sure I mispronounced your name there, Ted. Sorry about that. And starring Andrew Sinsening and Barbara Crampton. As grieving parents, you find themselves the focus of an attack by a vengeful spirit. The film had its world premiere on the 15th of March, 2015 at South by Southwest, and it was filmed around Rochester, New York. So what we're going to do is cut to We Are Still Here and be right back. She told me once that people pay her to do seances. This house has an energy all its own. We don't need to find the darkness here, Paul. It's everywhere. You satisfy the darkness. Every 30 years or so, the goddamn place just wakes up. And it demands new blood. Hello, welcome back to Legion's Podcast. We're discussing We Are Still Here from 2015. Starting with you, Vicky. What are your thoughts of We Are Still Here? Well, I love Barbara Crampton. I just loved this movie. I, I did. I mean, this movie, it was it was scary. It was mysterious. I mean, you know, you had the grieving mom thing. And she's just fantastic in it. I just love that woman. She's timeless. And she just does good at anything she does. She just, I just love her as like the original horror queen, as far as I'm concerned, in a lot of things. But 
I, I really enjoyed how the movie progressed and it just, it just, everybody's just went to shit so quick. But what I was trying to figure out, I mean, you have the townspeople and it's just like, I guess the house needs its pound of flesh or a new family. Was it every thir 30 years? Or every something? 30 years. Yeah. But did you notice, and I had to look this up, make sure I wasn't losing it. But what was his name? It was the, the Dagmar. He was talking about the Dagmar family, the, the Dave guy. And he was the, telling the, that the, how they, remember how they sang the first owners to sell corpses to the university in Essex County. Yeah. And they, that was a reference to an author of H.P. Lovecraft's fictional Miskatonic University, which was located there. And I thought that was a cute little nod. And um, it was set in the 70s. And it, it was, it, I, I noticed this too, and I had to look it up because if it was set in the 70s, there was also while they're while the Seymour Harry and Daniela were driving to the, the home to meet their parents, there was a 2000 model pickup truck. So I'm really anal. Yeah, <laughs> I never if I, if I hadn't read that it was set in the 70s, I would never have known by what was shown on screen that it was set in the 70s. Well, the cars, you know. Yeah. I mean, it looked it looked like primitive New York, but I didn't know that it was in Rochester where they filmed it. So that say, really, that just that's that's just like, oh, I understand oh, all that depressing scenery now. Prim primitive New York <laughs> or modern day upstate New York. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was. Yeah, definitely. Having just come from back from northern New York. But I thought it was a great film. I thought it was, I, I liked it. There was just not too much about it. I didn't like um, I like the scary people. They were all. Did they burn them alive? Yeah, that's what happened. They did they burn the house or did they burn the family elsewhere? Well, because what they showed up they, there somehow. No, what basically what they did was they built this family. They built it. The town built this house for this family so right. they could sacrifice the family in the right. house. Yeah. So, and that's what, and that's what the whole curse is about, sort of thing. And then, then every thirty years, there. they have to sell. They have to sell it to a family, um, and then I guess the Dagmar family ghost would pretty much like consume the next family that were there. Right. But I guess what we have this time, because they're grieving parents, and I think they understand because they're feeling the loss of their own child. Right. I think the Dagmar family kind of like feed into that, and so and so when the townspeople come, they're kind of supporting. Well, did you notice the couple. end? The, the ghosts or whatever they are, they're holding hands and they're looking at them. But in the end, they walk in the cellar anyway. Well, the the, the other issue with, with them being, you know, may, maybe understanding the plight of Barbara Crampton's family is they kill Larry Fessenden and um yeah and Lisa Marie's kid. They don't have any, they don't have any qualms over that. They didn't give a shit about that at all. <laughs> they they no. yeah, but but they but they were I mean the thing is is um but he does say Dogmar because you have to remember when Dogmar in the 1850s what he sister and says that they were sinning in his house. They were following his house. And the thing is, is you got to remember the morals are going to be totally different from the time period of this takes place than from what they were in the 1850s. So when you got this unmarried couple, you know, doing what, you know, what, you know, starting to play around or starting to fool around like that. I mean, I guess the Dugmar family would find that as a sinful plight inside his house. Well, I loved it when they started fucking up the townspeople because if anybody deserved to get murdered, it was all of them. <laughs> Why didn't they I, want to kill them in the beginning? You know, that I, dead family. 
I felt I felt in the end that that's probably I, I think they were satiated by uh by, by killing uh uh the the ringleader of the of you know the, you know, I, yeah, the, they the pitchfork were. mob the the metaphorical pitchfork mob I feel like I, I don't know did you get a sense that like maybe okay the curse is over now I don't know that's what I was thinking and then the end they just end up walking to the thing but then again I guess they want to be with their dead boy so much they're just gonna stay in the house I mean well I mean, they. I mean, I kind of figured that they, there's an understanding now. There's a, you know, that maybe because the thing is, I think that the thing is when the families are being killed in the house. How I how I interpret it is is that then once the townspeople come to the house, now that the um, Dagmars have got retribution on the town by killing almost everyone in this town, right. then then per, uh, pretty much probably closes the curse anyway because it's yeah. kind of like now because they. They've they've murdered the people who were against them. It's kind of like going, you know, taking taking revenge like in Blood Harvest or anything like that against the town that's that comes after you. And then you kill, you know, and then you go after the town, and you start murdering the town, then it's it kind of evens the score a little bit normally. Or what we could assume is is that you know, Barbara Crampton and her husband's character go down to the basement and they join Bobby in the spirit world. Yeah, because well, because, that's because what, I was what we wondering. which is I think I think it's you know which I think is quite clever that they kind of leave that up to the interpretation of the watcher and I think that's very, I mean I like I mean what I like about this movie a lot is that basically it's a very subtle film until the end so you kind of subtle and it's kind of you know it's kind of building but you're never quite sure what's going on and then and then it's and then you think it's then you think it's this kind of movie and then right. switches and then you think. And then when the townspeople come in, he's like, well, this is not what I expected at all. And that's what I quite and that's what I quite like about this director's films anyway. I, you know, he also did a movie in upstate New York around Syracuse Watertown Way called Mohawk, which yeah. is a very good film. And if he's and even in when he did ABC of Death um, 2, he, there's a feature that he's in there. And he's he has a very interesting way of filming and the way of doing it. And I like the way that he there's he just lets everything kind of sit there. And you, you kind of let unless unless scenes breathe, and right. kind of it doesn't fill it doesn't fill it up with a lot of useless motion or anything like that until when he has to, and then when of course when yeah. it takes off, and then we get a little bit of that. But we kind of get you know we get the grieving parents, we kind of and we get the mystery, and and we're kind of and we're, he's, he has this habit of drawing you in and sucking you into this. Mm -hmm. It was very and atmospheric, then, don't you think? It's the only word I can come up with. It had atmosphere. That house was the star of the show, basically, with the ghosts. But I, I don't know that I'd agree with that. Because the house itself seems kind of bland to me. Mm. I, I, uh, like, I, like, I think the... Um, I think the uh, the ghosts certainly are impressive looking. I like the way they look in this. I loved the ghosts. They were very intimidating looking. Very creepy looking. Very, the smoking charcoal aspect of it all. Very Joan of Arc. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think they lend a lot more to it than uh than the house itself because this is uh this is a movie that I feel like could could have uh could have used a set designer. You know, <laughs> like somebody to to come in and like dress the set and make everything look more interesting. Um, it was a boring but got, house, but I mean, it was just a lie. But the thing is, I think, um, and this might, I mean, this might be, you know, showing my age here. 
But I liked I liked the I liked the way the house was because for me that's that's home. the way houses are. That's, that's the way the they, way were, they the were for me too. And so so for me, it's just like it's like looking at where I grew up. It's kind of like I mean, well, it's Rochester. You know, I I, how many houses we drive out of Route Three see the same thing? You know, well, how many house how many houses in Jefferson County are the same thing sort of thing? And then the houses were yeah. decorated like that. They weren't. You know, I mean, if you look, you know, I told Ferris, I go, it looks like my aunt's house. Yeah, know? it could be anybody's and, house. And that's what I quite liked about it, because what I liked about it, because it kind of, for me, it gave me a reality. So it wasn't one of these normally American movies where you kind of had this poor family living in this well-decorated house with all these like modern conveniences. And you're thinking, well, how the hell are they afford yeah. this? Or, or like the, you know, like the friends, like the TV show Friends, when they're all living in those flats and like, how the hell are they afford this? None of them fucking work. But, right. you know, so, so and, you know, we're, to me, this looked more like Roseanne Connor's house, which is basically most of what America looks like. If it was, you know, if it was like, 19, that's what I quite liked. That house was probably four to $500 a month to rent <laughs> with all that property, even cheaper, probably. Well, I mean, and then I kind of, I guess for me, it's just kind of like, and then, the thing is, is they moved to this house and, and it's kind of like, oh, and so therefore the furniture is all going to be old and everything like that as well. So it's not like I don't think they brought their own stuff there. It no. didn't seem like it was furnished. Because, it appear to be furnished. Well, they well, when it opens, they're they're driving there and it's, it's almost like they, they're and they, it sounds like they just moved in. But everything's kind of where it is. You know, the wood I just stove love how they and, made Barbara Crampton look like an average woman, because let's face it, she's beautiful and above average in the looks department. Oh, and yeah. it, mm -hmm. they, they actually made her look tired and older. And I just, I just love how she, she seizes her roles, you know, no well, matter what it is. Well, I think she, I, I think she might actually be older than what her part is supposed to be in this movie anyway. It's just well, she's that, 63 now. So. Yeah. It's just that she is so, yeah, she's so stunningly beautiful still to this day that, yeah. You know, for for you know, she she could play a forty five year old, and no Easy. one would bat an eye. Easy. I love seeing Lisa Marie. So to be honest, it's very rare that you see, I, that you see her outside of the Tim Burton universe. Well, yeah, and since she broke up with Tim Burton, yeah, I haven't seen her in anything. Yeah, and I thought she. Was, I thought, Paris, isn't she? Well, I mean, the thing is, if you look at the roles that she did, you know, Johnny Depp's mother and um, Sleepy Hollow. Mars Attack, the the, yeah. the really skinny wasted one, and she's walking yeah. around as the. I forgot thing. about Mars Attacks. Oh my god! And, uh, and, and a couple of other things, and yeah, and Vampire, and, and, yeah. and Wood. So it was good to actually see her just act and just be herself. Right. And I thought she did a really good job. And I thought all the act, I and even even like the guy who plays her husband, I can't think of his name. Uh, Larry right, Fessenden. That was who I mean, he, was. I I could not figures, and I've seen him in other movies, and I've seen him on. He's been on Joe Bob and, and a couple others. So he's was, it, he's, it, was he's like watching, too. it was like watching, but it, it felt like watching Jack Nicholson in 1970s. Almost, <laughs> almost. I was going to say he turned into Jack Nicholson for, you know, somehow. Um, yeah. The thing that, the thing that grabs me about the, about the couples is the women are both so incredibly attractive and, and, the look at their and then you look at their husbands <laughs> and they're so schlubby and it's like wait you how know what i've got to tell you and, and i was talking to my daughter about this it's really trendy not to go out with guys that are greek as in god anymore because they're nothing but trouble <laughs> and you know everybody's liking that dad bod thing is is it i'm serious all these chicks are dating guys with dad bods i'm telling you if you got it's, your dad it's bod supposed guy, to 
in like Flint in North Texas. But I just, I think it's great though. They had regular, I mean, come on, because not everybody is stunningly beautiful. Drop dead. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome, but, you know? but, but Lisa Marie and Barbara Crampton are not exactly indicative of the average woman. They're not average women, but their roles were average in the movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, when have you ever seen Barbara Crampton look like that? She looked just like a grieving older mom in that. She didn't really have a whole lot of makeup on. That You know, let's face it. When she cleans up, what was that last movie she made? She was a vampire in it. Uh, Jacob's Wife. What was it? Jacob's Wife. Oh, my God. I love that movie. But she is just gorgeous in that. I mean, that was like a year ago. And she, and she, and she got her breast out in that. And she's, what, 60 some odd years old. That's the one part of a woman's body that doesn't go really to shit quick is the boobs. I'm telling you, <laughs> they are not out in the sun constantly. So the skin kind of stays pretty good. And I have to say, although I'm not gay, her boobs were rather impressive in that movie for her age, I have to say. <laughs> she's just gorgeous. I mean, you just, she's just, you can't, you can't help it. She just is. And, but, but when she does attacks her roles, whether it's an attractive role or not, that's why I like her so much because she really does put a lot into it. I, my, my biggest respect for her coming and, and reanimate her when she was naked on that table with a head coming down the thing. I just realized that she was like one of my favorite people right then. (laughs) Remember in the head and she's like on the table. I mean, who does that in the eighties, you know, Stuart Gordon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she does that. But I mean, I guess another thing is it's quite funny because when we were watching it, um, Ferris goes to me and she goes, I said I go, God, this is like coming going back home to my hometown. And he asked, and he goes to me, he goes, What well, so when we go into a place, it's, everyone just turn around and stare. And I said, Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Do. Like, You're gonna get stared at like a big in a small town like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, you do. So well, they all had but, an agenda though. So they were already creepy, weird people anyway. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I mean, I guess what I quite like about the whole thing is I quite like the story and I like the buildup and I like that it keeps layering and, and I like, and I like the old school feel about it as well. There's this I old school too. kind of feel about it. I, I, I do think killing the waitress when she answers the door is kind of pointless. Like, what did this girl do? She answered the door. Sometimes well, that's the all thing you is, do. Yeah, but... Uh, but see, I don't, I don't know if she killed her, because the re- no, because the thing is, when the townspeople come in, she's one of the people that comes in through the front door after they shoot um, Lisa. Well, the, the, head the bartender, he, the bartender, but not the no, the uh, bartender, but the, no, the young girl there's because she has the same outfit on. So I'm thinking to myself, was like, yeah, I rewatched it, and I was like, maybe I didn't. So catch I don't. It. Yeah, I guess so I, I don't know. So. But uh, uh, maybe he fires a warning shot in the air. Then I don't know. I don't know. You don't see it because it happens off camera. I thought she was dead. You don't know because it happens off camera. But then maybe they brought her in as an extra something. It's using to be filmed that close because you did get like a close up as she's coming through the front door. I was like, oh, I thought she was dead. A cast of thousands. (laughs) Cast of dozens. A cast of dozens. Yeah. But and I guess you know I and I guess another interesting thing I like is that during the closing you know, credits, you, then you, that's kind of when you start getting the story about what's been going on in this town every thirty. Yeah, years. with all the newspaper clippings. Yeah, right. yeah. 
Well, it does seem rather, it's sort of like Jeepers Creepers. What is it, 27 to 30 years? I guess it's a generational thing that comes back to, you know, get your next generation. So there's always, mm. you know, stuff to use. Well, I mean, you know, all, I mean, most curses happen on a revolving Unless door. Unless you watched The Last sort of Jeepers Creepers Reborn, in which case you were in a bathtub slicing. Well, well I mean, if, if you look at the, but if you look at the Santa Maria religion anyway, what they used to do is every 30 years, they would, you know, they would have to pick a female to salve, salve them into their fields. And that went on for, you know, centuries and stuff like that. And if right. you look at a lot of, a lot of pagan thingies, you know, they did them yearly or every, 15 or every 30 they seem oh, to go the bog people of... all ritualistic killing for this and that yeah yeah because yeah. you you know and that puts the cur that puts the curse away for a time period and then better do it again because it's going to happen again we're going to be without water and our crop our crops are going to stale or human so beings are I... such a naive species well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we're so I, stupid. I we really are. I just don't, I just don't understand why these rituals have died. I mean, I think we probably should bring them back. We might I be know. Happy. I got a garden growing. I need a lot. I need a bumper crop of tomatoes yeah. this year. We might be able. To, we may be able to save the environment. You never know. Maybe <laughs> yeah. But just all I got to do is fly to Davos with my big two thousand liter jet. Yeah. So. Well, I guess what we should do is probably rate this. So starting with you, Vix, how many stars would you rate this? I'm giving it a five because I loved everything about this movie. I I, I love Barbara Crampton and I, I just I just liked how the, the story evolved and I just was really happy when all the townspeople met with a very grisly end. So that gave me a lot of happiness. So yeah, I give it a five. And what about yourself, Joe? Uh three and a half. I liked it enough. Uh we, to keep watching to keep to, to keep <laughs> watching but i didn't i didn't get as invested in the mystery aspect of it i think because they lay out so much of it at the beginning right that uh, i i i kind of you know i kind of felt like well i already kind of know the background like like i said earlier to me that what what makes a haunted house movie work for me is uncovering the pieces that yes, eventually yeah. give you the whole story and this well, one did you kinda... think they did that with the cellar and you know just the shit that was going on or i mean i mean well th there was there was the suspense there but i mean as soon as the uh um as soon as the young uh couple the uh the, the son oh, of yeah. lisa marie yeah. and uh and larry fessenden shows up they get killed right away yeah you know? they, so didn't I, really have, they had a drink and then they were dead yeah so i kind of <laughs> so i kind of felt like I kind of felt like there there were points where it was anticlimactic, but I had no. I guess there's truth to that. But overall, I really like it. It's right. uh, it. I love the, I love how creepy the ghosts look. Um, I I like that. You know, what one thing that I feel is lacking in a lot of ghost stories is sometimes, you know, not not that it always needs to happen, but I feel like a lot of times there aren't enough actual kills, and here we actually get the ghosts actually killing people. Yeah, I do enjoy that. When that's done correctly, which it, you know, I feel like it, it it was for the most part here. I, I, then I then I really like it. Um, I could have I could have uh, I could have used for the pieces of what's going on to be kind of you know put out throughout the movie instead of just you know the neighbor showing up and telling them everything right at the beginning. You know that that's that's my only drawback to this. 
I'm going to give it a solid five. I th- I don't know what it is about this movie. Or this movie just grabs me. And I've seen this movie so many times that I keep. And whenever yeah. anyone comes over, I always show it to them. And it's just one of those movies that. And I think it's because I'm, I do. Ha- I do have a bit of a hard on for independent horror that always appears on Shudder. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those Shudder movies. So I think that Definitely might have something to do with film. it. Yeah. But I think it's um. But what I quite also like about it, I think it's the acting, and and, and I quite like that kind of seventies vibe. Real, real. Well, she was so movie. good at playing the grieving mother, and that kind of got me in the heart. And and and, 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 I, and I like that, and I like that feeling of the grief that kind of flows through that, that flows through her character, she which kind of so grabs well. me. That kind of sucked me in. So, so that's probably the reason why I would give it a five. And I I, I do. I have watched this film quite a lot, a lot more than let's say Sinister. I. I Though I've seen Sinister two well, or three times. In rewatchability, this is a lot more rewatchable than Sinister. Because this is this yeah. is the kind of movie where it's like you could have a couple friends over, you could have a couple of drinks. Is there you a know. sequel to this? Was there a sequel? No. There's no sequel I don't believe so. Um, yeah, this is the kind of movie where you could, you know, like he said, you can invite people over and watch it. Sinister, you kind of need to have, you know, you kind of need, to, you know, you have to have the lights out. You have to, you know. It would be a good pairing of- with the purge. Which I'm actually going to watch tonight. I've never seen it. You've not seen The Purge? Oh no. my god! So I'm going to be seeing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be watching it tonight. Actually, I only love the first one. I, I, I'll, I'll watch all of them. I'll over the course of the next few weeks because I got. Yeah, I, I got a the box last one. I have no fucking clue what they were doing in that last. But. Well, the, yeah, let's let's end that conversation here because I'll watch them. Oh, I'm not gonna say a word. I want to hear. I want to hear. I found. Um, yeah, I got the uh, the box. I love the cheap. first one. I got the box set really cheap with all of them, so I was like, all right, what? what oh, you I know, love the first a chance one. to see totally them. Love it. On that note, that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month, our M&M, Monsters and Mad Men, will be your next and the guest, which are two films directed and written by Adam Wingard. Um, and of course, we'll be continuing our book to screen with the talented Mr. Ripley, which is um, written by Patricia, um, Patricia Highsmith and the film from 1999. And Doctor Who will be continuing with The Planet of the Giants, which aired from the 31st of October to the 14th of November, 1964. And Batman, the anime series, which we'll be covering this episode, the, Se- the Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, Heart of Steel, Part 1 and Part 2, If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich? And, of course, our make remake will be Halloween from 1978 and the remake by Rob Zombie from 2007. Oh, I can't wait so- for this one. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of differences in opinions on this one. So so it's good night for myself. Good night, Vix. Good night, guys. Good night, Joe. Good night. And we'll see you next week for Vix's Screen, the Townsend Mr. Ripley.